you are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Our scripture reading today is from Romans 8. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be confirmed in the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. And it's great to see you all. It's so great to be back. If you don't know, I've been out for uh, roughly a month and uh, we're just thrilled to be back in the land of Tex-Mex and barbecue and all things good, but most especially you, our family and church family, love you and have missed you dearly. Glad to be back with you today. And of course, for the foreseeable future. Um, that was a joke, I guess. Like, are you saying, no, 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 no. All right, all right. Tough crowd, right? It'll, it'll, it'll get better, I hope. You can, you can pray for me. So uh, we're finishing up our series uh, in the book of Romans called The Gospel is for Everyone, looking at the first eight chapters. Uh, and a couple of things quickly as we get started. Uh, first of all, you may know that Pastor Brett is out in the Dominican Republic w- with a team of 21 people from Mosaic uh, this week. So you can be praying for him. It's a big deal. I'm glad for that. And starting next week... And continuing through the month of August, we'll be doing a brand new series on a subject I've never preached on at length before. It's on the subject and the practice of prayer. And the series is going to be be called, And He Answered Me. And He Answered Me. We'll be looking at some of the most famous prayers in all the Bible, the stories behind those prayers, and how those prayers have shaped your life and mine, history itself. So if you're new here, please, please, please come back. We'd love to have you. I think you're going to love it. Here we go. If you've read the book, it's called Days of Glory, Seasons of Night. It's by a woman named Marilee Pierce Dunker. You may know it's the story of Marilee's father, someone named Bob Pierce. And Bob Pierce was the founder of the very well-known Christian relief organization called World Vision. Uh, Probably you've heard of it. Bob Pierce, though, was a powerful, powerful evangelist. He led thousands upon thousands of people to faith in Jesus over his lifetime from countries and cultures all over the world. He was highly respected and a lot of leaders. Christian circles. He raised millions 
upon millions of dollars to help suffering and starving people in Asia in particular. He did remarkable things, and yet, and yet Bob Pierce abandoned his family for his ministry. He was such a poor father that one of his daughters committed suicide in the book. Bob Bob Pierce's wife eventually divorced him. And in the end, the the organization that he founded, World Vision, it's a great organization. If you're a part of what they do, you should keep doing it. They're great. But yet the organization he founded in the end had to fire him because of uh, his lack of character, because of his explosive temper. He couldn't work well. He didn't play well with others. Bob Pierce was very successful at some really great things, but he failed at the main thing. He failed at the main thing. Now, that's terrible, isn't it? Yes, it is. But what I think is most discouraging about that whole story is that the autopsy is simple. What's most discouraging is that something like that, when you hear it, when you read it, it's easy to see in someone else. It's harder to see in us. It's harder to see in ourselves. It's harder to see what main thing we might be letting go of as individuals. And perhaps hardest of all to see is when and where we might be letting go of the main thing as the church of Jesus, as people who are trying to follow Jesus together. I read a, read a story about a pastor, true story, about this church he was involved with where the people in his church got into an argument over whether or not they should have a Christmas tree in the lobby during the Christmas season. Now, some of the folks in the church, of course, thought the tree was fine. They said, hey, you know, it's just something made by God. All good. You can bring it in. You can bring animals in. You bring the grass in. Bring a tree in, right? Uh, others said, no, we believe Christmas trees are of pagan origin and we shouldn't have them. And so when the time came for the church's annual Christmas party, the pro-tree people dragged the tree out into the lobby. The anti-tree people dragged the, the tree out. And the pro-tree people went and got the tree and dragged it back in again. They began to argue and squabble so much, and this is true. They got into literal fistfights in the church lobby over it. And in the end, the whole thing showed up in the local newspapers because, again, this is true. They ended up suing each other. Now, let me ask you, what else could you conclude, maybe worse or better, what else could a non-Christian conclude? but that the main thing consists in whether we have a tree in the lobby or not. See, Bob Pierce forgot the main thing. The people in that church forgot the main thing. And I don't want us ever, 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 as the people of, of Jesus at Mosaic, to ever forget what's really important because, as it's been said, here it is, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Come on. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. So we should ask, well, what is that? What is that? What's the main thing when it comes to the Christian faith? Another way to ask the question would be to ask this question. Why have we been spending so much time in the book of Romans? The answer is this. We've been spending so much time going through the book of Romans because the book of Romans is a book all about the main thing. It's a book all about the the gospel, which is the good and true story of Jesus of Nazareth, the son of God, who for us and for who and for our rescue, he became human, a God man. He lived a perfectly loving, morally flawless life. He died an unjust death on a Roman cross, but he was raised to life. Hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses. Uh, Again, he didn't stay dead. He was resurrected so that all 
who repent of their sin. They're living on their own way for their own glory. Those who trust in him would be given a new life, would be reconciled back to God, reconciled to themselves, reconciled to the people around them, and reconciled to creation itself. And this gospel, this good news, Paul writes, Romans, is available for everyone. That's the gospel. That's the the main thing. That's what the book of Romans is all about. And so here now today, we're at the end of Romans 8, the climax of these first eight chapters, arguably the climax of the whole book. And so Paul here, the writer, is about to show us how to do just that. He's going to show us how to keep the main thing, the main thing. Let's ask. Here's my big question today. What do we need? To help us keep the main thing, the main thing. What do we need to help us keep the gospel at the center of our lives and family and church? Three things we're going to see. First, Paul says, we need to embrace a new kind of gift. Embrace a new kind of gift. What's that? All right, here it is. Here's the new gift. Paul writes, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things, all things. You may know I'm finishing up my last class in a graduate studies program. Thank you, Jesus, right? It's this little, um, this little medieval torture device called seminary. But I'm in my last class. It's in world religions. And one of our assignments for the class in world religions is to visit another house of worship from another faith system here in our area. And so because some of my neighbors across the street are Hindu, uh, I wanted to get to know them better, understand their faith system better, understand their faith better. And so I decided to visit a local Hindu temple. Uh, So I did a little research on how to conduct myself, called their board of trustees to arrange a visit, tell them who I was while I was there and all that. They were very kind, very hospitable, allowed me to be the only non-Indian person in their presence. And I learned a ton that night. But, but, But before I even went right when I was getting ready to go out the door, one of my children had turned and looked at me and he asked me this. He said, dad, aren't you scared? <laughs> scared? And I looked at him and I thought about it and I said, all right, buddy, I have preached. Uh, I've open air preached on university campuses across the country. I've been spit on by people downtown Austin just for sharing my faith with him. I've had things thrown at me. I've debated lots of people who didn't like what I had to say. I've preached and translated uh, in, in countries that are opposed to the gospel. I think I can handle walking into a Hindu temple down the street full of my nice neighbors who are my friends anyway. Right. He looked at me and said, okay, that makes sense. Have fun, Dad. You know. What was I saying to him? I was saying because, because, because I've done harder things, in a sense, than this in the past. Therefore, doing this thing now, which seems hard, maybe even impossible for you, is actually easy for me. And in the same way, Paul is saying here, if God has already given us his own son, if the hardest thing God has ever had to do for you, he's already done. If he's given his son, not just uh, to you, but for you in your place when you turned your back on him, then giving you now as his child, this gift he promises you right here. Well, as I used to say growing up, man, that's just gravy. That's easy for God. Amen. He says here, he will graciously, freely give you, here it is, all things. 
All things. So what are we given? What's this all things? Well, at this point, when you hear all things, I imagine you're probably having one or two reactions. First of all, some of you, you, you like that bit. It's like one of your favorite verses, right? You're getting really, really excited about all things because, you know, maybe you're like me. You're from a Western American context. And like me, you've watched way too many infomercials. And you stay up late and, and you know, that they promise to throw in all the things, right? But that extra set of knives, if you don't wait and you order right now and all that. And so you did it like maybe like I have maybe once or twice. And you, you, you got all the things. You got the extra knives or the extra George Foreman grill, right? Or the extra set of ShamWow or whatever it is that they, 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 they wash your car. Or, or, or you're excited because maybe these two words, all things, are maybe just further proof in your mind that that self-help book or the seminar you went to that promised you, told you that God or the universe or whatever wanted to give you that extra additional luxury vehicle or that extra vacation or house in the Hamptons or whatever. No, no, no. While it's true that God does, oh, he wants to bless us extravagantly because we are his children. Just like I want to bless my children because they're my children. That's not what this is talking about. Now, the other reaction some of us may be having to this is an excitement, but it's disbelief. All things, Morgan. God wants to give me all things. Morgan, you'll pardon me. You may be saying, if I don't believe you, maybe if that's you, it's because you have grown up not with a lot, but with like less than a little. You're saying, I've seen way too much heartbreak or pain or abuse or divorce. Why would God, why can he tell me he's going to give me all things? Now, let me tell you. If that's you on either side, if you think this is just about luxury, or if you think this is just a lie, you're both wrong. Then you're welcome for that. So what are the, what are the all things? What are the all things? We've got to get this right. What are the all things? And the answer is, don't you remember? Paul just told us a few verses before so that we wouldn't forget now. Look at this, three verses earlier. He says, and we know that in what? Come on, what does he say? All things, all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to this purpose. What does this mean? It means that the all things God wants to give you aren't about prosperity on one hand, more about just poverty on the other. The all things are about one thing. The all things are about this one single purpose God has for your life and mine. The all things are about this God doing something for us that we can never do for ourselves on our own, which is this next verse, next few words. He says, I, my plan is to conform you to the image of my son. See, the all things, oh, they're all about making you and me and us more and more like the happiest and holiest being in all the universe, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The gift of all things, hear me, is God's personal pledge to you to work in all your ups and all your downs. How much more will God graciously give us all things, all things we need to become more and more like him, and hear this, in the end, to work and form our character. Oh, our character. And let me tell you, your character is far more important than your circumstances. It's far more important than your circumstances. And here's why you can know this is true, because you're thinking, I don't know about that, Morgan. Here's why you can know this is true. Why God cares more about your character than your circumstances. And while it's true that God does care about all of your circumstances, I'm so glad for that all of your pain, all the things you go through. He cares about our character more. Think about it. Think about, for example, sickness. Sickness comes into your life. Sickness can't really destroy you, but bitterness can. Come on. 
Poverty can't really destroy you, hmm? but greed can. Someone else's alcoholism can damage you, hurt you, but your own alcoholism can destroy you. Life is hard when circumstances break bad, but life is worse when our character unravels. So what do we need? Oh, to get the life we always wanted anyway. We need all the things, all the all things God gives us to conform us to his son and keep us from falling apart. And sometimes what we need, therefore, is that extra vacation. Come on, somebody, you say amen. First thing I've said you've liked all day. That extravagant provision, that vacation, that marriage, come on, that the healing, those are our all things. But so sometimes are trials challenges just like the son of god jesus christ experienced therefore our all things can never be fundamentally disconnected from our first thing that god has given us the best thing god has given us which is a suffering savior who goes through trials and challenges but who emerges victorious in the end that's our first thing god wants to give us all things just like that. Therefore, God's giving you the gift of knowing he is doing what you cannot do, taking even the hardest things in our lives and using them to make us, in the end, an unstoppable person. Now you say, this is hard, but it's true. And it is. It's both of those things. It is. So what do we need to live this out? Come on. What do we need to live this out? How do we embrace this gift? We need a kind of power, and Paul's going to show it. And we're going to get to that power by, secondly, by answering a new kind of question. We embrace a new kind of gift by answering a new kind of question, which is where Paul goes next in the text. When you keep reading in Romans, Paul asks this. You can read it. In this series of increasingly emotionally gripping questions, he says stuff like this. If God's for us, who can be against us? It's like the verse that's launched a thousand songs in the, in the, in the Protestant you know, non-nominational church. Who can be against us? Who's going to condemn us? If we're God's children, who can do this? Who can do that? And he concludes with his ultimate mic drop of a question. Who can separate us from the love of God in Christ? The question hangs in the air to be answered. It's Paul's ultimate question. We've got to answer it. But why? Why should we answer this question? Here's why. Think about it. Let's say you lose your job. What's your instinct? Your instinct is, this can't be part of my all things. I must be separated from the love of God. God must not love me. You're an athlete. You miss a crucial shot, injury, error. You get fired. You get injured. What's your instinct? This can't be part of my all things. God must not love me. You're single. You long to get married, but no mate comes into your life. You think, ah, God doesn't love me. You've got a child who goes off the rails. What's your instinct? You feel like I'm separated. You're separated from the love of God. See, Paul asked this question because he feels what you know. He knows that almost everything in your life and mine conspires against us to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, to convince you that God can't possibly be working for you right now in your all things. And he shows you, he knows how you feel right here on Psalm 44. He's giving his little Old Testament street cred right here. He pulls Psalm 44 up and he says, it's like, I feel like this is a God for your sake. We face death all day long. I feel like I'm like a sheep that's about to get its neck slit. And he said, God, it's out and I'm getting beat up in these you know, mean streets. It's true. God, or God, I'm, I'm really lonely. Or God, I feel this. And because of whatever circumstance you've got today, like Paul, you may be feeling you're separated from the love of God. 
And when we're tempted to walk away from that love, hear me, that's when bad stuff happens. That's when we're tempted to do things that we shouldn't do, we ought not to do, that we will regret or that we can't get or take back. Because you know, I know this. When the pressure comes on you in life, when the pressure really squeezes you, the pressure squeezes us to feel like we're not loved and that's when temptation happens. That's when we look for something else to fill that slot, fill that blank, make us feel loved. Think about Jesus in the desert. He, he, he felt like this. The son of God, right? Matthew 4, weak from fasting, 40 days. When he's feeling weak, when he's at his lowest moment, what happens? Come on, temptation. And what was the final ultimate temptation Satan brought him? It was this. Satan said, if you'll bow down to me, just give in. Jesus, I'll give you whatever you want. What was Satan promising him? Oh, hear this. A twisted version of Romans 8. Satan was saying, I can give you all things. The world, Jesus, you feel powerless now. Feeling distant, 40 days of fasting, 40 years of whatever you've been going through in your own life today. You feel distant, separated. He's saying, just bow down. Just give in to me. Just look at that, whatever. Porn, come on. Just take that drink, sleep with the person you're not married to. Just don't forgive your parents. Just don't go back to that church where they tell you to forgive. Satan says, I'll give you what you want. And you know what? He can. He can make good on his offer. Satan can, in a way, give you all things, except his all things aren't laced with the goodness of God. They're laced with the poison of death, destruction, pain, regret. My friend, pastor, is a pastor in our Every Nation family, Chris Johnson, he puts it like this. It's the best thing you're going to hear all day. He says, sin always fascinates before it assassinates. Very good. Sin always fascinates before it assassinates. If you tweet that, post that, just give Chris credit, not me. (laughs) Satan will fill your heart and mine with so much, hear this, pleasurable power. We really can be on top, but we'll be just like Bob Pierce. He'll fill our hearts with so much pleasurable bitterness pleasurable rejection. We could be like one of those church people who fight over trees in the lobby and say, no one else gets me. No one else does church like they ought to. Right? I know how it's done. You'll fill your heart with so much pleasurable lust. You don't have to handle dealing with a real woman, men speaking to you with all their imperfections and all their glory. You can have it all on a screen. Satan can in a way give you all things so much greed pleasurable greed come on you can neither you nor your children in, in, in the end will ever encounter poverty or pain and you'll forget that the gospel is good news for the poor it can give you all things listen almost everything in our lives it conspires against us to pull us away from the love of god so how do we do that how do we live in the love of god how do we keep the main thing the main thing a number of ways but let me give you arguably the most important one How did Jesus, Matthew 4, how did he respond when he was tempted to throw away the love of God? Here's what he did. He did this. He said this, three words. It is written. It is written. Go back and read it. He quotes to Satan in the face of his own feelings, the word of God. The word of God kept him in the love of God. And hear me, the word of God will keep you in the love of God, which means this in the end, that only time with God can keep you in the word of God will keep you in the love of God. And when you are living over and over in the love of God, now let me ask you the question, 
Who can separate you from that love? Come on, answer the question. It's nobody. Not even Satan, the devil himself. And time in the word of God every day helps us not to forget that. First, if we'll embrace a new kind of gift, they're all things God works in the middle of. If we can rightly answer a new kind of question and say yes to the love of God every day, in the end, hear me, then this will happen. Finally, number three, we can, oh, I love this. This is the promise. We can become a new kind of person. We can become a new kind of person. Paul writes this in again here. He brings it up again in all these things, our highs, our lows. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Oh, and I love that he writes this because don't you know that in Paul's day, there were lots of conquerors around. It was a conquering culture. Do you know who the conquerors were? Sure. They were the Romans, the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire came through, conquered everything and everyone. They flattened the world. They were the Nikaio. That's the Greek word for the victorious. And of course, you can see the word Nike or Nike in there. The Greek goddess of victory. The Romans were the ones destined by the gods to be the champions, the victorious, the conquerors, the Nikaio. And so when Paul writes this, who's he writing to? He's writing to Roman people living where? In the epicenter of the conqueror culture. Rome itself. Oh, the middle of all the conquerors. And around the world today, don't you know, there are all kinds of modern-day conquerors, all kinds of things that feel like conquerors. You heard some uh, from Pastor Larry uh, earlier in the first service. This past week, I got, a, I got a letter in the mail from some Chinese pastors and missionaries. This church supports, and they, and they go in and they, to China, and they coach house church leaders. And I got a letter in the mail that saying, this this past week, the Chinese government uh, broke into one of their meetings, took, arrested 16 of their pastors, and put them in a cave. I got a picture of a cave for two weeks, subjecting them incessantly, day and night, to communist brainwashing propaganda and the remainder that just the church members uh, the, the the city allowed the, uh, the remaining public to go around behind them with with sound systems and megaphones to ridicule them and taunt them to call them enemies of the state and to encourage their fellow townspeople to reject them those authorities in china they sure look like the nikayo conquerors the winners and so does any government come on any leader any president any uh, prime minister, any pastor, any dictator who uses his or her power to flatten those with whom they disagree. Oh, but Paul never calls us conquerors because the people of Jesus aren't supposed to be like the people of Caesar. Paul never calls us conquerors. He calls us something else altogether. Paul makes up a new word in the Greek language to describe those who live over and over in the love of Christ and the gospel. Those who remember and keep the main thing, the main thing he calls us is, here's his word, he calls us the hyper Nikayo, the above Nikayo, the super Nikayo, the ultimate, the super winners. He says, you are more than just a conqueror. You're something else. You're something better. You're besides better than just a military superpower. Yes, Caesar may win for a moment or a decade or a lifetime, but we will win in the end one day for forever. How can he say this? How can he call us the hyper Nikayo? It's because he says, I'm looking at the one. Says, because of him who loved us. And how though, how did Jesus love us? Here's how. By defeating the conquering power of Rome with a greater power. Uh, The power of a perfect, loving life, death, and resurrection. And that's why, that's why, can you see this? Therefore, the, the symbol of our faith today, the cross, is really a kind of a taunt. It's a taunt. The cross, it's smack talk to evil. 
It's smack talk to the devil, smack talk to conquerors in any age or a country. Because when we show the world this power of the cross, when we keep the main thing, the main thing, we're saying this thing, oh, the greatest power you had didn't get Jesus. And whatever great power you have won't get us either. We are the hyper Nikaio. And so when Paul realizes that the greatest weapon, the cross that Rome had, couldn't defeat Jesus, that's why he says this. Next, he says, oh, now this is because I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. It couldn't separate Jesus from God, and it can't separate you from your Lord. And do you know something? Paul was right. (laughs) He was right. We are here because he was right. He was right. You and I are super winners, not because of our own power or ability, but because of, and this night now, this is, hear me, this is the supernatural, this is the mystical, this is the almost too good to be true promise of the Christian faith. If you belong to Christ, he belongs to you. He belongs to you also. He lives on the inside of you and gives you his love in all things, all your good things, all your bad things, and all the things you might not ever understand to make you like him more than just a conqueror. Listen, if, you, if you've been part of this church for any length of time, you've gone to our membership class, you know how true this is. Because this, Paul is saying, is really not just about a you or a me. It's about an us. <laughs> it, will, it won't separate us from God's love. And, and man, haven't just our challenges here made us better? Yes. Then we have a better story to tell. Yes. Then we have a braver song to sing. Yes. Then what makes you think any challenge you face or that we face or that you perceive or we really are facing as a church right now will be any different? Listen, we don't have to be afraid. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. One of the highlights uh, from our family's time off over the past month was being able to go to the beach in Florida. Love the beach. My wife's a Southern California girl, loves the beach. And some friends of friends of friends had given us three nights on the Gulf Coast, beautiful place. And the first night we were there having three teenagers, they do what teenagers do, which is to spot local sugar options. So dessert, ice cream. And so there's a sugar place, a shake shop right there. And so we went over there uh, right outside this condo place and we got our, our, our 2,000 calories in a cup otherwise known as a chocolate shake. And so we were planning on going to the beach right after that at sunset and drinking our, our shake and all that. But as we were standing in line, all of a sudden this big storm front began to blow up and it began to get a little darker and uh, the wind began to pick up and all that. But we thought, hey, we'll go anyway. You know, it's Florida. It gets cloudy all the time. But as we went and we were walking onto the beach, it got real dark real fast. And the wind began to pick up super fast. It began to rain on us. And one of our children asked, because they're a landlocked city kid in Austin, Texas, they said, can you go to the beach when it's raining? You know, they didn't didn't know this. And again, their mom, being a Southern California girl, she piped up and said, Carrie said, yes, you can. You can actually go to the beach when it's raining. And just because it is raining doesn't mean you can't go to the beach. And so we went out as everyone else was running in. And we had this incredible moment together, all alone, but more or less on the beach. We were in a place, nobody else, because they all left. And then we took and got this picture. Look at this picture. Look at this sky. Let me put this moment another way for you in the end. Don't let the threat of a storm in your life keep you from the beauty of the beach. 
Look at the threat of a storm in your life keep you from the beauty of the beach. You know what the threat of this storm did? When we walked into it, all it did was make this moment better. It made this moment better, more memorable. Hear me, life isn't always sunshine on a beach. Sometimes life is rain on your vacation. But either way, God is in it with us. He's working. Let me ask you, what storm are you facing today? Maybe a better question is this. Does it even matter if you're more than a conqueror? Does it even matter if you're more than a conqueror? If we'll keep the main thing, the main thing, if we'll keep the love of God and Christ Jesus central to our lives in church, hear me, we can smile in any storm with or without a chocolate shake. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.